0: is intercepted at the goal line by malcolm butler oh my god davis is going to run it all the way back or going to win the football game tatum drives down and throws it down wow to Throw rainbows it down the right side for kyle pitts he's got it he's there touchdown oh my oh my indeed everyone welcome back to the sports bits podcast with moco here to talk about all things Florida Gators football and Boston Celtics. You can follow me on Twitter at the Sports Bits Pod to get updates on when I upload. I will also be tweeting live, tweets, uh, live takes and reactions of the game, games being played that day. Uh, please leave a five-star review if you're on Apple Podcasts, and if you're on YouTube, please like, share, and subscribe. That would be amazing. Today's episode is mainly going to be unscripted, just because it's going to be my year-in-review of the Florida Gators football season. Uh, It's been a crazy season, and I can I have a a lot of things to say about it, mainly unscripted because I don't really have any points. I do have some later later talking points about the recent transfers and the transfer portal, and also about the new hire at the secondary's coach position. So let's get rolling with this season. I don't know what to say. I mean, it was a great season. We we you know preseason we were looking at, you know this is going to be our year. We're going to make the football college playoffs, even to make it to the championship. Because the whole sentiment for the whole year was, if it's not now, when will it ever be? Especially with Dan Willen. it's our third year. We have all of these guys developed. We have Kyle Trask leading the helm because he is, was our franchise, or at least our franchise quarterback at the time. And it was crazy because we had, also we had Kyle Pitts emerging, and Tony is back, which is great after that gruesome injury between the 2018 and 2020 season. That really hindered his uh, ability to help us. But, you know, we have still had Van Jefferson, uh, what's his name? Oh, my God. Oh, Freddie Swain and all those guys last year, which really helped the receiving core. But now with this year with Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony, and Kyle Trassen offense, you know, it looked to be pretty good in preseason. Talking about the defensive side, uh, we, I don't know because we had a lot of guys drafted. You know, C.J. Henderson being a top-ten draft pick, and he was one of our best corners. And we didn't, I didn't really see, at least when I was watching the 2019 season, I didn't really see anybody who had emerged to be our top corner. You know, we've had every year, you know, 2018 it was Chauncey Gardner-Williams, 2019 it was uh, C.J. Henderson. This year I didn't see anybody. You know, we saw later with Kyrie Irlem uh, pop, popping off and later in the season, you know, being our pseudo-lockdown our pseudo corner. You know, he's good, but I don't think he was as skilled as, you know, the last two guys who took that position. But defensively there was hope you know we we've seen what this defense could do under Todd Grantham with amazing skill uh amazing skill and talent at the positions the last few years being stacked and you know you know i thought it was a progressive uh, like you know uptick between 2018 to 2019 and hopefully 2020 was going to take that another jump and you know we were sorely <laughs> sorely mistaken and you know disappointed with that you know our offense did take a huge jump though it was a basically an, a playoff caliber offense, excuse me, sorry about that. But yeah, a playoff caliber offense that you know was I would say was wasted due to a def- like defensive all defensive mistakes throughout the year. You know, you can blame Todd Grantham. We could talk about him a little bit later. But yeah, he 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 was probably the reason why we didn't do as well. I mean, it was probably to a lack of preparation from, you know, being COVID at all. So you should take everything this season with a grain of salt just because you know, we didn't probably have the same prep time or same routine that we usually have every single year to prepare for the season. But, you know, we, you know, we take that into account. We run into the season. First few games looking pretty good. And, you know, that Ole Miss scare was a little bit, because you saw how the defense was, was rattled completely in shambles. I mean, and then you realize Ole Miss later in the season was a high-powered, insane offense that could keep up to toe-to-toe with Alabama. Then you're like, okay, Ole Miss isn't too bad. Isn't too bad. And then we get, go work our way up to the Georgia, Georgia game. You know, progressively looking like, oh, yeah, we could compete against Georgia. We, this is our year. Then we see to Texas A&M game. We have a close game. You know, we were all watching the TV screens thinking, like, we could win this. We could win this. It's a top 10 team. Texas A&M is a really good team. So it's not, you know, it's okay if we, you know, if it's okay, it's a close game, even if it's a win. But, you know, that last field goal didn't really did kill us. But, yeah, that was the first first hiccup of the season. You know, we were hoping to win that game, give us a good resume booster. Considering LSU was not going to be as good, and they're usually our cross, our cross division rivals that are usually pretty good and give us either a bull, a resume booster, or can destroy a season in the first like four or five games. But it was, it was not LSU this year. It was Texas A and M. Yeah, I and then we went to the Georgia game, coming with all the hype and realizing that uh, Georgia did not have a quarterback. They had Stetson Bennett and DeJuan Mathis. You know, they were fighting to see who was going to be the starting guy. And you know, it there was, you know, there was also the JT Daniels talk that that was going going in circles there cuz the you know, you know, didn't look like they were starting. There was medical issues. And you know, they went in there with a a great defense and their offense was very questionable suspect. You know, and Florida took advantage of that. You know, we were able to compete and shoot out games. You saw that in the Alabama game. You saw that with well, even with Texas A&M before we lost, you know, for the field goal. But we were able to keep up with any, any high-powered offense. So you look at Georgia, Alabama, and, and Texas A&M. We have a great offense that can carry our team, even if our defense is a little lacking that day. But you saw in the Georgia game, we, we stepped it up. We stepped it up. We had all this hope that we finally got them. We beat Georgia. Then you go after, you know, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, eh, you know, it's Okay. You know, we, we got the wins. You know, they looked at like blow, blowouts and our defense was improving. Then we came to Tennessee, then Alabama, and it just, in our LSU correction, it was Tennessee, then an LSU, and our defense just completely went back to our week one defense, which is just ill prepared, not lining up, not getting set. It just looked horrible. And that just did not give us hope for Alabama. You know, even though we kept it close, and I was happy for our team to keep it close against Alabama. Shows that our offense, you know, if we have the right pieces we can compete against alabama it it just shows that and you know we ended off with the cotton bowl we can i've already g- gave my reaction on that i'm not going to talk about that but you know as a season in a whole i have this little like graph in my head like if you picture the games throughout the season you know you start off with tex uh, old miss which is probably a little lower than uh than we expected because we thought we we're going to completely blow out uh, blow out uh old miss but yeah we we didn't start too hot you know, moving up towards Georgia. You know, it's a, like a steady incline, and then we hit to Georgia, which was probably one of our first peaks of the game. Actually, before we even get to that, we could talk about we could talk about the uh, the Texas A&M was probably our first dip in the season. So like, you know, you see the general trend going up, up, up. Then you had Texas A&M, drops down. Go back to Missouri, we blow them out. Up, up, up. His Georgia, we hit our peak right there, I think. We you know we we keep you know I think we keep a steady steady pace with you know uh, uh, what is it Arkansas. With Arkansas, then we go to Vanderbilt, Kentucky. Pretty good. I think we're going up. And then we had Tennessee. We, I think we dropped. I think that's when my graph starts to drop. Just because, you know, we were expected to blow them out. Tennessee was not looking good this year. And it just, you know, we dropped and the LSU just tanked our season. We jumped back up again for Alabama because I think our heads were set for Alabama. We were not focusing on Tennessee or LSU that day. All we're thinking in our minds is that we're going to the SEC championship. We need to beat Alabama. That was our mindset. If we lost. Those two games were just a, 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 you know, a good slap in the face for Florida. That we need to stay, you know, one game at a time type of deal. We cannot be looking ahead. We need to be staying on track and not be looking ahead at games. So that's probably a lesson learned for the future. Take every game as it, as it, if it's Alabama next next week, and keep playing it like that. In Alabama, we kept it close. I think that was our second peak, and we just I say we hit rock bottom when we have no, we had no talent and we had to play uh Oklahoma. I think that was our second, second low of the season next to Texas A&M. So yeah, it, it was up and down, you know, it looks like a stock market graph, just up and down, up and down, two peaks where Alabama and Georgia were, even if Alabama was a loss. So I think they had two peaks there and then we just dipped after LSU, Oklahoma, Texas A&M. Yeah, it, it was a lot. It was a it was a crazy season. All our hopes, you know, we had hopes and dreams, and then they went crashing down after LSU and uh, LSU and Alabama. But yeah, I, you know, I, I was happy for it. You know, it shows progress, and hopefully, you know, next year are the fourth is the fourth year in Dan Mullen's uh, tenure here. So that means it's mostly going to be his guys that he recruited, compared to the last three years, which was probably most of leftovers McAwain and Mar- Muschamp era level guys. So, you're gonna see how Mullen works the Florida team with his guys over, you know, working with the leftovers from the last two head coaches, which, you know, is fine. We'll see how he does. You know, he showed his, his greatness at Mississippi State, even though it wasn't as great as we thought. You know, hopefully, since he's at Florida, he actually has better resources and he's actually able to utilize all his talent around him and his coaching and his coaching and it as a staff around him to, you know, become better than he was at Mississippi State. Cause Mississippi, it's hard to compete in the SEC West. It's understandable. You have to play Alabama, uh, Auburn, LSU, and all those, and Texas A&M. So, you know, the East is a little bit easier because you only have to really have to face Georgia and, you know, maybe a Kentucky team or a Tennessee team that would maybe go up a, up every certain year, like every off so often. But, yeah, like you're, you, have a, you only have one team to worry about in the East with Dan, with Dan Mullen in the SEC East. In the West, he had more teams to worry about. So hopefully with next year, You know we have Emory Jones and all those guys, Anthony Richardson. We'll figure out who's going to be the quarterback in spring because I think this spring is going to be a little more normal than it was. You know, in the beginning of 2020, we had no clue how to work the system, how to work, work with COVID, and hopefully we can get a spring game in, we can get spring practice and full, full evals and everything done, so we're able to go into 2021 fresh and ready to go, and have that same mindset that we need to play every game like Alabama and stay committed to whatever team is there and not looking into three games in the future. Like we see Georgia, you know, we sh- in our first game, we should not be looking at, oh, we should be worrying about Georgia six weeks later. No, we should be worrying about whoever we play first. I really haven't looked at the uh, 2021 schedule yet, but I hope, you know, I think I know we play Alabama next year, I think, and that's going to be the, one of our biggest games next year. And we can, pff, hopefully we can do something with that. Let's see. I can. I'm going to quickly pull that up right now. Yeah we, yeah, we play Alabama, time, like, time of days to be determined. But, yeah, we have mostly the same schedule, Alabama, LSU, Georgia. Oh, we play uh, UCF, interesting. And, yeah, of course, we get our, our rival game back, Florida State, which has not been very good. You know, usually that was a pretty good booster at the end of the season, but now Florida State's kind of fallen off a little bit. You know, all the whole wheely tagger situation didn't really help. <laughs> yeah, they, it didn't help. But, yeah, you know, Florida's been dominating – now we really have to worry about Miami as the main, main rival in Florida. We have to worry about, you know, with Deer, I think Derek King's going to be back for them, so that's going to be another deal. But yeah, this season's, uh, as I keep reiterating, this season was good. And just a few mental things that need to get fixed. And we learned that uh Tom Grantham's going to be back next year. And we made a, a coaching change in second year, which I'll talk about later. But yeah, Grantham is here to stay. And, you know, hate or, love it or hate it, I'm going to Stay on the leading towards the hate it side. Sixty forty hate it, because you know he he it works if he has talent. His scheme works if he has talent. If he does not have talent, like it showed this year, it really goes down the shambles because he can't. You know he doesn't have that individual talent on in the secondary or in the front seven that can make impact plays in his scheme. He's not really the type of guy. Like he's he's not the Dan Mullen of defense because uh, Dan Mullen can work with any offense and you know scheme scheme to the best of his ability who he has, and what needs to be schemed against against the other team's defense. And if we had a Dan Mullen on the defensive side, like the way he game plans for games, I think we would have done really well this year because we would have taken advantage of whatever we had, even though we were short-manned talent-wise. I think we would have done better than what we did last or this season. Yeah, because uh, Dan Mullen was the whole... Dan Mullen definitely did re- revolutionize Florida offense, make it more spread, or just... It just he just makes a scheme based on what the quarterback needs. So you'll see next year, as I'm as most people in the on the whole college football world is predicting that they're gonna Dan Mullen's gonna make an offense tailored around Emory Jones. So makes, you know more Q, design QB runs, more play action just because that's, you have Emory Jones as a weapon that is able to run and pass. Hopefully his passing gets a little bit better because he's you know he's been pretty good but not the best not Kyle Trask level. You know we've been spoiled with the Kyle Trask level passing offense more spread you know less running uh less run offense so we'll see how that goes and also we have you know Demarcus Bowman transferring from uh Clemson which I will I think I should uh, you know I'm gonna end this off end the season review with you know it was a good season it was fun it was exciting I think every Florida fan you know loved it regardless of how bad Grantham was you know that let's put the Grantham thing aside I think overall the season was great and I, I enjoyed watching it as a Florida fan and I hope we'll have the same energy for next year and hopefully Dan Mullen can get a lot of things fixed uh that he had troubles with this year for next year. And we're gonna transition into the transfers. Just you know, I was talking about Demarcus Bowman, so you know, this is our, our another five star running back, uh transferring to Florida because last year we learned so Lingard and now we have Demarcus Bowman. And yeah, we we're sacking up on running backs. I I, I really don't know. The Demarcus Bowman thing was nice and all, but I, I don't know if we really needed to stack up on wide receivers because I think Nekwon Wright's going to be back this year and Lingard will hopefully make another step because I think Pierce is going to the draft. Yeah, and I don't know about Malik Davis. I haven't heard any news from him. But, yeah, I mean, I think running back will be fine. Hopefully we can, with the full spring, it'll help work out the kinks of, you know, not, you know, instead of running three yards, we're able to run 10 yards like Alabama and, you know, have a consistent running game that can help open up the pass for Emory Jones because he's going to need all the help he can get for a quarterback who's not as, you know, talented as as Caltras, but still, you know, a serviceable, serviceable passer. And another transfer that came in uh, was Ant- Antonio Shelton from uh, Penn State. He transferred from Penn State as a defensive tackle and hopefully will restock the front, the front four since Kyrie Campbell is going to be gone. And, uh, yeah, I mean, David Reese is going to be back, and uh, I think Brenton Cox is going to be back. Ventral Miller will be back. So hopefully that front seven will, will be okay for next year. Yeah, I think the transfer transfers did okay. I mean, hopefully, I know mean, some guys are transferring out, transferring out, like James Houston. You know, he was a serviceable linebacker. I'm gonna say that just because you know he was probably overshadowed from uh, Ventral Miller having Ventral Miller, Amari Bernie, and all those guys at linebacker. But yeah, I think I think he'll be he'll be wherever he goes, he'll be a great starter. You know, wherever he, I'm assuming he's probably gonna go down a little bit just because he wasn't that flashy, you know, Alabama linebacker type deal. So he'll probably go to somewhere not you know not SEC level, probably go to, like, the Big 12 or Pac-12 or something, something of that caliber, or even, you know, the AAC, because the AAC's coming up. So he'll go there, probably make a couple of impact, impact tackles and sacks and plays, you know, wherever he goes. So I, I think he'll be okay, you know, looking out for the good for him. He, you know, he did great things for Florida, you know, for what he could, being you know, overshadowed by two other good linebackers. But yeah, so let's get on to the uh, secondary hire coach for Florida, Wellesley McGriff. He was the former defensive uh, uh, defensive backs coach and co-defensive coordinator for Auburn. And when he was at Auburn, his he was third in the passing defense in the SEC and five in total defense right in front of Florida in 2020, which shows he can work a, a secondary, which means he can hopefully fix some of the kinks that, you know. Uh, oh, my God, I forgot the two names of the guys who got fired. But, yeah, hopefully fix fix some of the things they, you know, weren't able to fix. This season with you know a shortened season and also shortened off season and also with a shortened uh, lack of talent with a lack of talent on in the secondary you know he's also had nfl experience with in the saints uh with the saints from 2013 to 2015 having the second pa- second in uh second best passing defense in the league so you know he has some experience and also sec experience at kentucky and vanderbilt so he he has a well rounded uh uh resume and I think that's why Grantham and Denwell wanted to bring him onto staff because he had he has so much experience and so much you know knowledge to bring to the Florida secondary that hopefully will develop the guys to bring back you know the C.J. Henderson types and the Chauncey Garner William types because those we really need those guys badly if we want Grantham to run his blitz you know rush the quarterback get pressure on the quarterback type offense we need to have strong second a strong secondary to bolster up the back of the field while those guys get after the quarterback. You know that's why we did so well, the first two seasons. First two seasons when Dan Mullen was here, just because if we're going to rush the quarterback, we need to have strong, strong safeties and cornerbacks to help protect the passing game. So, because if we're not going to play zone, we need to be able to have good one-on-one guys. That's what C.J. Henderson was for us. That's what uh, Chauncey Gardner-Williams was for us, and hopefully with Wellesley McGriff, he can bring that to Florida. Because if he if he doesn't, we're going to have another crappy secondary, that's going to get exposed by every single team with a competent quarterback and a competent set of receivers. So, yeah, hopefully he can bring that, you know, as a secondaries coach. You know, I mean, I still think Dan Mullins, uh, you know, himself should, you know, hopefully improve next year. Yeah, I I don't have words for him because he, I think you've already heard it enough. Dan, like either he needs to get fired or he needs to change something about him. So there's not really much else to talk about Todd Grantham. Like I can't I don't really want to go into nitty-gritty about like every single play like he did wrong or whatever. Like what went wrong with his scheme this year, that you know, with the sh- lack of talent. You know, we saw what happened, you know, as a general term. Like you know, as a general Florida fan, you're not gonna notice every little kink. But, you know, we just saw a general decline, which is why everyone's mad about Grantham. Yeah, so holy wasn't McGriff can help fix that with secondary. And yeah, I I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for the new new coach hire, coaching hire. And yeah, I think it's time to move on to the Boston Celtics side of the of the podcast. So, if you guys want to hear more Florida content, I'll be here next week. I don't know what's going to happen, we'll hopefully talk about some new news that comes out of Gainesville. But yeah, I think it's time to move on to the Celtics. And we are back. All right. Time to talk about some Boston Celtics. It's been a crazy set of games the last Three to four, you know, before the COVID hit, which I will, I think I, I think I'll just talk about that first. I'm just gonna sort of straight into it. Uh, we had a cancellation on the Miami Heat game this Sunday, and also we have a cancellation on the Tuesday game, which I don't exactly remember who we, who we played this Tuesday, because I just saw it on ESPN that you know I saw the notification that said oh went uh Tuesday's game's gonna get canceled, you know that kind of sad just because of COVID protocol and everything. I mean we had nine guys out. We're going to be really short-staffed for that game, so I feel like it was fair to cancel the game regardless. Hopefully, we can not worry about, you know, not worry about too much COVID things when everybody gets healthy from contact tracing or gets back from contact tracing. So, yeah, it's the Magic game on Wednesday that got canceled. But, yeah, I, yeah it's been a crazy year, and hopefully we won't have another COVID scare. We won't have to worry about contact tracing in the future uh, with the Celtics. You know, Especially since uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart were all out for contact tracing. And it was a scary time thinking that we're going to play the, the Heat and the, and the Magic without our three best guys, even though, you know, even with the Magic having Marco Fultz being out for the season with the torn ACL, you know, still it's, it's not fun having your t- top three guys be, you know, out for COVID. And it would really hinder the team. You know, even though we, I'm going to talk about a few things later, you know, like Robert Williams stepping up, Peyton Prit- Pritchard stepping up. I still think you know it would have been not a fun fun game to watch without our three top three guys you know getting pressure off the other guys to make plays. So I want to first talk about Rob Williams because we were kind of right. You know me and James last week talked about him like he needs to step. He's going to be able to step up more. Like he's probably going to be the next guy up uh, on the center position. We should start him over Tristan Thompson, et cetera, et cetera. And it really did show that because I really looked back at his stats. to decided to study him for a little bit this week. And the two things that really stuck out to me. That was his defensive rating, you know, throughout his, I think his first seven games, or last seven games, I'm not including the first game, because usually that's like when they're trying to figure stuff out. But the f- last seven games since Indi- the first game of Indiana, and now, his average uh, defensive rating was 100 points, which, you know, that's really good. And that's probably one of the better, uh, best defensive rings we have on this team, which shows that he could be a defensive, you know, rim runner type of player. You know we can. He can still score points. He scores. He averages six point eight points a game, which is, you know, still solid for for a center who's like you know a rim running defensive center. So I think he would, you know, if we wanted to switch him out for Tristan Thompson in the starting lineup, we can. You know, like I don't think we would drop off anywhere if he, we did start him. You know, even if we started him over Daniel Tyson, we had Thompson at the four. You know, either way it works. I I actually think we should move Tyson, Tristan to the bench, and we should have. You know, a, a starting lineup of, like, Peyton Pritchard, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and uh, Robert Williams. Because I think that would be a really good lineup to have starting in the lineup. And then not to mention Jeff Teague is back on the bench. And when, then if we move Tyson Thompson, that would be a great backcourt, uh, a frontcourt on the bench. And then we still have, you know, O'Jalee Grant and Carson Edwards on the, on the bench as well as guard, at the guard position, at the wing positions. So I think it would, be, it would be a really good team. You know, some of these guys are stepping up, same with Peyton Pritchard as well. Some of his stat lines include, you know, an 8.6 point per game uh, average this season, and we also have a 3.1 assist per game this season. You know, really good numbers for a rookie. And also, you know, he's averaging almost a steal a game. Or actually, I think he's averaging a steal a game, which is really good for him. You know, shows that. And also, if you watch him, he's a really good defensive player as well. So he's a very well-rounded guy. He's able to create his own, or he's able to make, you know, score the points that he needs. Play defense. You know, do a little bit of playmaking when he needs to facilitate, because I think that's what we need as, as a Celtics team, especially when Kemba gets back. We need someone as a facilitator. Either, you know, Jeff T can probably take that role, even though he's more of, a, you know, a shot creator type of guy. And I think Peyton Pritchard would be the facilitator that we need for the future. So, yeah, I think the, Pritchard has put up some amazing numbers and amazing stat lines that, you know, for a rookie is really surprising. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he got, all, like, all rookie second team. You know, I don't think he's first team. Uh, But he's a second-team, definitely caliber guy with, you know, his numbers that he's putting up. And, you know, as again, we were saying last week, he was doubted in the draft. Like, we were saying, like, why did we draft Pritchard when we had these other guys? But he really stepped up, proved us wrong, and I think he's a really good addition to the team. Hopefully, you know, he can be that fourth guy that, like, you know, we see, like, oh, we have, you know, when we're talking about the Celtics, like, oh, they have Jason Tatum, they have Jalen Brown to worry about. Oh, they also have Marcus Smart and Peyton Pritchard on the guard positions. Like, you want to see that impact, saying like, "Oh, we have to worry about this guy every every time we play them." That's like, hopefully Pritchard can make become that. You know, later in the season and even in the playoffs, if he steps up, you know, like Tyler Hero did last year, if he could step up like Tyler Hero, that'd be an amazing thing because that means that guard position would also have Kemba to worry about, and then on the bench you would have Pritchard. You know, there could also be interchangeable. You could have Pritchard at the two, whatever way Brad Stevens wants to scheme uh, scheme it. They can do it. I mean, we have a lot of good guys now. And I think it's well rounded because we also have Grant Williams stepping up as well. I don't really have any stat lines, but you know, watching him, I think he's a really good player to have on the bench. Same with uh Ojale stepped up. For how many years he's been on the Celtics, I think he's, you know, I think he's making a good jump this year compared to his other years, at least by the eyeball test. Yeah, I, I sorry about that. I just want I wanted to try to pull up O'Jolley's stats because I didn't want to look too too blanket about Augolet. But, yeah, I, I mean, he's been on – I don't know how many years he's been on the team. But, yeah, he's he's been on the team for quite a bit. Yeah, he's been on the team for four years. This is his fourth year in the NBA. And if you just – I'm going to quickly pull this up. But, yeah, uh, what is it? Points per game. He's stepped it up from – what is it? His first season he had 2.7. This season he has six, six points per game, you know. It's a bench type of guy. Like, I don't see him, like, breaking the starting lineup or anything or, like, overpass- or, like surpassing some of these guys. Like, I don't even see him surpassing Grant Williams or Rob Williams, the William brothers, you know, as I call them on, on the Celtics team. But yeah, I think he's he's, you know, a serviceable bench guy. I don't know if he'll be back if he once his contract runs out. But yeah, it's a good guy to have on the bench. Same with Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tyson if, you know, if my scenario comes to fruition that they put him to the bench or they can run like a t- uh Thompson, Rob Williams starting lineup and put Tyson on the bench. You know, I think Tice has that like seniority in the Celtics. That's why they keep him in the starting lineup, even though, you know, I think some of us fans start to see, some of us at least see Robert Williams as a guy we can put in there as a defensive, you know, anchor at the center position compared to Tice. Because Tice is more of an, I think, more of an offensive guy, you know, very scrappy, very rugged guy. And I think he's, I think he's very serviceable. For the bench and for the starting lineup, he's good because, you know, he doesn't have as much pressure because he doesn't have to score as much just because Tatum and Brown are there and Smart are there, Smart are there for, the, for the starting lineup. So, yeah, I think Tice is fine. You know, how it is is okay, but I would – few changes, at least from what I see, you know, put Rob Williams in the starting lineup. Until Kemba gets back, put Pritchard as the point guard. You know, you can always run big or small, you know, having, having two centers and Titan at three, uh, Brown at two. Smart the one, or you can run small with Pritchard, Marcus Smart, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Then we have whoever we can throw in at center. It would all work. You know this. this team has looked pretty good. And also, just talking about the re- most recent slate of games with uh, Detroit, which was crazy because we had a 10-point win before we blew that and ended up. What was it? Ended up winning by. Well, how much did we win by? Crap. I do not have this pulled up. But yeah, we won by. Da, 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 da. What the hell why can't I find it but yeah we we didn't I think we only won by like what eight eight points I'm going to pull that up right now so it's Raptors yeah we only won by eight points you know it was okay you know looking at the team it, it looked like we were like struggling in the third quarter came back in the fourth and won it which was fine the Miami Heat game was pretty tough you know they still got Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero you know it's still a rec- uh you know a force to be reckoned with you know the record may say otherwise It's being four and four, but you know, you know, it still should be a winnable game for us, and we won it by two. Thank God for the clutch layup by Peyton Pritchard, of course. That's why I keep calling out his name. Watching him that game against the the Heat really showed his his stars and his colors. Then we had the Washington game. You know, we had Bradley Beal score sixty on us, which was holy shit. Why did I say that? But yeah, it it wasn't good. It wasn't good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to say that, but. Bradley you know, he scored forty-one points, and then Westbrook. West, we hold, Thank God we held Westbrook to twelve. But yeah, he they they went off that game. No one stopped the doves Perton's had thirteen points. It yeah, we didn't we couldn't hold them. We we couldn't hold the star players. That's I think that's our problem for this year. If I had to leave, be like they put you guys with anything or give you guys any type of thing about the Celtics after this episode, is that we can't hold star players. We saw that against the Nets against Kyrie and KD. See that Westbrook Beal, saw that with Jimmy Butler. You know, it's not, it's not great. I mean, we did do okay against Pascal, but he still scored a decent amount. But, yeah, it, it, oh, we have Red Van Fleet. More importantly, Fred Van, uh, Fred Van Fleet scored, like, 20-plus points. We can't hold the star, stars down to, you know, you know limit their, limit their uh, efficiency, which is the only problem I see for the season because, uh, you know, our defense is still ranked, like, 20-something. In the league, yeah, we our defensive rating dropped to twenty-two, or still at twenty-two, and our, f- our offensive rating actually dropped from seventh in the league to ninth. Now after the, the last slate of games, and if we cannot fix that defensive rating and def- fix our defense, I really don't see us going that far because we still got Milwaukee, we still got Philadelphia, we still got plenty of teams to worry about in the playoffs that I I'm re- really concerned about. Yeah, we got Philly, we got Indiana. The Magic are doing pretty good. Hopefully I can see, you know, the next game. Hopefully the next game won't get canceled so we can actually see them play the Magic. Milwaukee's still there. You know, the Hornets have been really good with LaMelo Ball. Like, if you've seen him, he's the first, youngest player to score a triple-double, which is crazy. The Cavs, you know, falling off. You know, we thought their 5-0 and start were going to be... or 5-1 and start's going to be great. No, it wasn't. It I didn't see that lasting that long. But, yeah, we still got a lot of powerhouses. You know, we are the, the one, uh, first... First place in the Eastern standing Co- Eastern Conference, but I I don't see it lasting long. Long I see us ending as around a round of three seed, three four seed. You know I think Milwaukee will overtake. I think you know once the <laughs> once you know one of these other teams finds their stride, I think they'll take the two seed. we we'll can take the three three seed. You know honestly the you know this opening slate. Yeah, I think the Nets actually will take number two if if Ky- Katie and Kyrie get everything fixed. I think it'll be they'll be the 2 seed and then we'll take 3. Yeah, cuz I this start of the season has been really weird, you know, we're seeing the Cleveland Cavaliers as the top 8 team, New York Knicks, you know, they're 5-5, five five. The Orlando Magic and Indiana Pacers. I'm just looking at the standings right now and it it does not look like what we expected. We expected Milwaukee to be blowing through all these teams. And you know, you know we thought we would be around here, you know, 7 and 3 is pretty good for us. You know, Philadelphia I thought was going to be okay. You know, and then, yeah, I, I have nothing much else to say. That you know, this season's been a pretty weird start. Not to mention that the, on the other side of the other side of the world, on the western side, uh, the Denver Nuggets are five and five, and they're not even top eight. Yeah, and then you see like a team like Oklahoma City, five and four, with only uh, uh, Shea Gildas Alexander being their star play only star player. It's crazy. It's a crazy season. There's a lot of things we didn't expect, but you know come around midseason come around the midseason mark you know where the all-star game would have been everything will about to equal out cuz i think everything will be fi- fixed and figured out by that time and we can have a little bit of what we expected in the preseason but yeah for right now it's been a crazy a crazy start to the season and yeah i think i think the celtics will do great i think those will still be a third seed ending the season uh i can uh, hopefully won't have to change my mind hopefully pressure Pritchard pressure Pritchard, rob williams and Grant Williams will take steps, you know, throughout the season to become better players. Tatum will still be good. Brown will still be good. You know, some people are saying Brown, Jalen Brown is better than Jason Tatum. Uh please stop the cap. That was horrible. Whoever's saying that. I had to say it, please stop the cap. God damn. But yeah, no, no. You'll see later in the season, even in the playoff times, I think Tatum's a better playoff player than Jalen Brown. So you'll it'll it'll everything will return back to what we thought was normalcy. Around the midseason, to at least to the, where the playoffs start. But yeah, that's really all I got because uh, you know COVID's got cancellation. The COVID cancellations really suck because I was hoping to talk about those games, especially the Magic game. Actually, I'll probably talk about the Magic game next next week. Hopefully, if they don't cancel it, and if we have more COVID cancellations, I probably won't be talking about much. But the Celtics. But if we do have games, I will be talking about them. You'll follow, if you follow me on Twitter at Sports You'll get updates and probably. See some of my live reactions to the games I do watch because some games I can't watch uh, due you know, cable rights and crap. But, yeah, hopefully I'll be able to watch those games. But, yeah, until next week, boys, I will see you all. And hopefully next week we'll have more things to talk about. You know, this week I think we had a pretty good, pretty good amount of things to talk about this week. You know, with Florida side, hopefully more news will come out. And hopefully the Dan Mullen rumors aren't, rumors aren't true. And for the Celtics, I pray we keep making steps, making strides to become, you know, stay our, the three seed or even the two seed in the East, and we can keep pushing that, pushing that uh, playoff playoff run. Till next week, everybody. Peace.